when I finally got to that point where I understood that the grieving cycle was always going to be part of the journey, I've learned to give myself more grace. Hi, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. I am so stoked to give you episode 84 with medical mom, Carrie M. Holt, all about grief. Carrie's a bit further along in her journey than some of us. Her disabled son, Toby, is 15 now. In this episode, she shares what grief was like for her in the beginning uh, and the ways that she struggled to process that grief because she was in constant survival mode. We discuss what exactly we're grieving, uh, how the various stages of grief, and especially anger, denial, and depression, can show up over and over and over again. She also shares the ways that her grief has evolved over the past 15 years and how in some ways it's actually become more intense than ever. We even talk about what it's been like for her to help her son deal with his own grief surrounding his disabilities, which I know will be applicable to some of us and not others, depending on the cognizance of our children. There are so many moments during this conversation that I just felt so seen and so understood while listening to Carrie share her experiences, and I really hope that that's the case for you too. Now, I loved diving into this type of grief because I think it's pretty much universal among, you know, parents that have children with disabilities and medical complexities, and I think it can feel kind of taboo or it might be minimized by us or others, but, you know, it's a very real aspect of our lives, and I think it's really important to talk about it. For those who want conversations, you know, about grief of child loss, which I understand is a different type of grief, although, you know, overlaps a lot, um, there are two fantastic episodes that I highly recommend. So episode 20 with mom Katie is all about anticipatory grief uh, or the grief that you feel when, you know, your child has a shortened life expectancy. And then in episode 61... Mom Erica shares the grief that she's felt um, after losing her son, Wesley, to medical complications. So I'll put links in the show notes for both of those episodes if you kind of want to dive into child loss flavor of grief. Okay, so let me introduce you to Carrie and then we'll dive right in. So Carrie and her family live in central Ohio. Her family consists of her husband and their three boys and one girl, ages 18, 17, 15, which is Toby, and 12. Toby has spina bifida and hydrocephalus. She is a former teacher and now a full-time homeschool mom. She is a co-host of the podcast, Take Heart Special Moms, and I'll put a link for that in the show notes as well if you want to check that out. Carrie is a lover of fiction books and playing games with her family. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. 
I'm so happy to have you. It's so great to have moms that are a little further along in the journey to share your wisdom and experience with those of us who are younger. And also for those in the audience that are, you know, more at your stage of life that can have someone they can also relate to. So thank you for coming on. I would love for you to start out sharing just a bit about what grief was like for you at the beginning, because I know it, it evolves over the years, but what was grief like for you when your son was first born and you first, you know, realized that he had stuff going on medically and just everything? Sure. So I feel like for me, my grief started in a prenatal diagnosis. It's not always that way as everyone has different journeys. And I feel like it was just this constant state of survival. And just the first several months, my son was in the hospital from the time he was born until he was three months old. And like, you just, you just have to keep moving. You have to keep dealing with the next medical thing, the next medical thing. And my son, you know, took a road less traveled. He has a common diagnosis, but he ended up in respiratory failure. He ended up with an NJ tube, which is a tube that goes in the small intestine to get food. And he was on CPAP and then he would crash and he, he just had all these medical things going on and he's our third of three kids. And our boys were three and a half and two, our, our second son had his second birthday while our other son was still in the ICU. And it just, it was just so overwhelming. And then also at the same time, um, I think there were times where I wasn't dealing with it because you couldn't, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you're in the middle of those medical situations, you just have this tendency. And I mean, rightfully, so this is what we do. We just put armor on, Mm -hmm. right. You have to buck up. You have to put on, you know, your thinking cap. I used to be a teacher. (laughs) So, and, and you just, in order to be able to make decisions and things like that. And then we brought him home from the hospital and here we are, we have this medically fragile baby. He has a trach. He's hooked up to a ventilator 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's hooked up to a feeding pump 20 hours a day. And we're dealing with all kinds of bags and things hanging off of him. I've got nurses in my home 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And I honestly expected that once we got home, that the grief was just going to be over with Hmm. and done with. I expected it to be in the heart situations in the, okay, he coded again today and driving to the hospital at 2am because I get a call. I expected to feel all the feelings of grief and the grieving cycle then, but then it was like, okay, we're home now. So everything's going to be better and fine. Mm -hmm. And, and it wasn't. Yeah. Well, I love how you phrase that. Like you had armor on to protect you from like really dealing with the grief. Cause you're like, I can't right now. Like I have all this stuff to to help my son survive and everything. Um, and I, I was thinking about like my earliest days with my son as well, like just kind of adjusting to the idea that he had all this stuff going on. And like, yeah, I totally had armor on. And I remember feeling like this intense heaviness 
and kind of dragging myself through all the different things like, oh, more therapies. Oh, now we need to go to the hospital. Oh, like just all the stuff. And and I wonder, I'm like, maybe a lot of that heaviness was that protective armor I put around myself of like, I can't deal with this right now because well, we got another diagnosis. And um, yeah, and looking back, I'm like, I think I was depressed at that time. And that's honestly, I feel like that's sometimes how it manifests. Like when I have like an onslaught of grief and even now, like I get heavy, I feel tired, I don't feel motivated. I'm like, that sounds like depression. And so I, you know, I wonder how often it manifests that way too. Yeah, I definitely think it does. So my son was born just a few days after Christmas Mm -hmm. and every year he's 15 now, every year, this time of year through the middle of March, I have what I call is like situational depression. It's Mm -hmm. like, I don't have it constantly, but I feel the same thing. I feel that heaviness and just, why am I not motivated to do anything today? Why do I not even really feel like getting out of bed this morning? And that is even something recently that I've been talking through with a mentor and I'm getting ready to you know, see a counselor about, because there are things from that time that I did not actually process very well and grieve very well because life just kept moving. And years later, you would think the farther away that you get from those anniversary dates and those situations and things like that, that it would get easier. And in some ways it does, but in some ways it's actually gotten harder because Mm. I do feel that heaviness this time of year or just the motivation. And some of it is just that letdown after Christmas, but then I go, okay, what day is it? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. This was the day he had surgery to get his trach. Yeah. Or this was the day we had the snowstorm and I had been at the hospital for three days and I couldn't even get home. And I was like, literally having a crying breakdown on the side of the road because I, I was like a mile from my house and I couldn't even get there because Mm -hmm. there was so much snow and they were blocking, you know, the roads and things like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I've noticed that with not just with Kimball's stuff, but also like other, like my dad passed away or my miscarriages or whatever. Like I've realized that my body seems to know before I cognizantly realize that like a date is there. Like, man, I feel like crap. You know, (laughs) why might that be? This is the date that like I found out I was pregnant with that one that I miscarried later or just like different things like that, that I find really interesting that it's like we know before we really know and we can have a lot of those like responses before we really even process through like why we might feel that way, which I don't know, I think is super interesting. And I also want to touch on something you mentioned, um, like as you get further away from the events, how it in some ways is even getting harder. I'm wondering if that's part of what happened for me when my son had a cervical collar and we were gearing up for this big surgery and it was scary and dangerous and all this And then they were like, oh, actually, he's fine when we went in for the scan to, like, schedule the surgery. And he doesn't even need the collar anymore. And it was so interesting to me because I felt myself thrown into this huge bout of grief. And I was like, what the heck? Like, this is such good news. I should be so excited. I even did a whole episode about this phenomenon. But I do think that, like, as you get further away and you're more like, oh, I can breathe now, you really are able to process things that you were putting off before while you were still in like survival mode or like kind of protecting yourself. And then it's like, okay, we're okay now. 
And then now I'm like, wow, I'm I'm feeling the gravity of our situation before. And so I also wonder if it could be like, I don't know, something like that, if that's the same type of thing as getting further away in, in time like you have as, you know, he's gotten older. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the case. One of the things that I've noticed is, so Toby's had 60 surgeries. And some of those were, you know, two for one, seven for one. But his last surgery was in September of 2021. And it was very minor. I can't remember exactly what was going on, but he just had some little medical things happening. And sometimes I feel that stage of denial. That's a part of that grieving cycle, <laughs> you know, where you're kind of notice like, oh, this is, oh, he's got a little sore on his foot or for him, he's in a wheelchair. Oh, like his legs don't look right in the way he's sitting in his wheelchair right now. And, and I just, I don't want to pick up the phone and call the doctor because I know what it's going to entail. I know the repercussions that's going to mean appointments. It's going to mean tests. It's going to mean x-rays and maybe this wheelchair adjustment. And sometimes it's almost like when you're constantly in survival mode, you get used to that. Like he had, I think about 12 surgeries in a period of 15 months, wow. um, between the ages of like, I don't know, I think six to eight. And I remember we just got used to it. The feelings of adrenaline and survival and just dealing with this all the time. And it was almost like I was able to put on, you know, that role of advocate and nurse and all of this. But then when I set aside that mantle, or that role, there was one day, a couple months ago, I thought we're going to have to take him to the ER again. And I just, I thought I can't do this today. Mm -hmm. Like I, I looked at my husband. I said, if he needs to go to the hospital, you're going to have to do it because I don't think I physically can handle this today. And it is a strange, it's a strange phenomenon. I, I know, like you said, like your body holds implicit memory, you know, your body knows, and then I think you get into this state of calm in some state of normalcy, whatever that looks like for your family. And then something comes up and I'm like, no, I'm not going to deal with that because I know if I, if I make that phone call, what it's, what it's going to mean for our family and what it's going to mean, just that upheaval. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That makes so much sense. You know, it's a it's cool that we can do that, you know, when you have the 12 surgeries or whatever it was all in such a short time, like to be able to like handle it, like, and, you know, yeah. maybe have some intense trauma later, but like you can get through it. But I do think it's almost like there's parts of my heart. They just get tired. It's like, I've been wounded there so many times and it's healed up and stuff. I don't I like, no, not again. Like that spot is so sore and sensitive and tender because of all the past trauma and past, you know, hard experiences. And so I, I don't know, I, I think that could be part of it too. Yeah, definitely. So with those difficult dates that come up, we're like, oh yeah, these are the months that, you know, we were inpatient for so long or, you know, different things like that, the different difficult anniversary dates. How do you handle that? So one of the first things, and I do not have this all together or have done this well, but I do try to just, so I am one of those people that like, I'm a huge planner, very type A personality. And I'll just, I'll look at my calendar and go, oh yeah, well we can do that and that and that and that. 
But one of the things that I've learned is just to give myself space during that time and a lot of grace. I think there is just this level of guilt that we feel as moms that we can't just handle it. Mm -hmm. Or I even feel guilty about the feeling that I don't feel like doing anything today. And I mean, that's just so ridiculous, you know, because eventually I will get up off the couch and throw in a lot of laundry or do some dishes or things like that. But because I did not accomplish 20 things in that day, I only maybe did two and kept my children alive that day that I didn't do anything. And I think there's just this, I don't know what it is, this expectation on ourselves that we just have to handle all the things and have all this perfect balance. And we're never allowed to feel um, these negative feelings. So one of the things that I realized when our son was about five years old was when I finally realized that the grieving cycle, anger, depression, anxiety, sadness, fear, and then coping and, and happiness and joy and, you know, kind of moving through and processing. It's not always, you know, the negative feelings of the grieving cycle. But when I finally realized that one day it was just like, this is always going to be a part of the journey. There is always going to be feelings of loss because we have to accept that we have, we have lost, we experience loss. And when I finally got to that point where I understood that the grieving cycle was always going to be part of the journey, I've learned to give myself more grace because when I'm feeling anger or fear, and sometimes the, one of the things that I've realized is it comes out in little things, mm. doesn't come out in big ways when we're in the ambulance again, riding to the hospital, doesn't come out then. It comes out in the drive-through when they get my order wrong. You know, <laughs> it's the little, it brings up all this anger or, you know, my kids are just, you know, frustrating me or something. And then I'm just crying and I'm thinking, where is this coming from? This situation does not warrant these huge emotions that I'm feeling. Oh yeah. It's grief. Hmm. So I think number one, giving yourself a lot of grace and not feeling guilty. And then number two, just being aware of your body, being aware of how your body even holds that trauma in your shoulders, your tenseness and things like that. And then doing the things that you need to do to take care of yourself that day. And along the way, along 15 years, I've learned just different things that help me deal with the grief that day or the strong emotions that I'm feeling. Again, it's not always sadness and grief. It's, it's other things too. Mm, yeah. I've definitely had moments like that where I like, like all of a sudden, like, I just can't make dinner or I like kind of freak out about something that seems totally unrelated and might be totally unrelated. And then I have the feelings of like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I pull it together? So I love that you identified like, oh, like me freaking out in the drive through or whatever, like that isn't actually the drive through. That's my grief about what's happened or, you know, just yeah. different difficult dates or whatever. And I really love that that mindset. And I feel like we need to also kind of dissect what are we grieving, you right? Because we keep talking about grief and I'm sure everyone listening is like, oh yeah, grief. Like I feel that too. But like, let's kind of dive into like what we even are grieving. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, the biggest thing that we're grieving is just the loss of expectation. One of the podcasts that I listened to about trauma just talks about how any, any time that your day doesn't go like you expect, you experience trauma. It might not be trauma, big T, but it could be trauma, little T and, you know, a traffic jam or just something small, you usually you know, can deal with that and move on your way. But when you've also accumulated like all of this wounding, you know, like you were talking about, I love how you said that too, just like the wounding of our hearts that we have to then stop and think, you know, what, what am I grieving? So in the instance when my son was five, so my son had this like really unexpected hospital stay. We were in the hospital for like five days. And then all of a sudden I had to bring in all this outside help. It was the end of the school year. My, at the time my kids were in school, we homeschool now, but at the time my kids were in school and it was like the end of the year parties and field day. And I also had a little daughter at the time who was like two years old. I have three boys and a girl and I had to bring in my sister and brother-in-law. And then at the same time, we were planning to travel for my sister's bridal shower. So I'm planning 10,000 things. And a couple of weeks later, I just crashed. It was a librarian that I went off in the library. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and I just crashed. And what I realized, what I was grieving was that a couple of things, one that I couldn't be there for my kids, my other kids, I had missed some things and that I had to ask for help from other people in order to just kind of cover all the basis that I couldn't just be there for all my other kids. And there is so much power in naming, naming what we're feeling and naming what is causing it. I am so glad you asked that question because it's been a huge thing. And I write and journal a lot, which helps me, you know, deal with that and figure out okay, what just happened? And sometimes we have to look back three months, even six Mm -hmm. months and see, and see what it is. And I will Mm -hmm. say this too. I think it's really important to pay attention to maybe it's a milestone that your other children reach at a certain time, or you're watching your friend's children reach one time when my son was about 12 in our homeschool group. Once you turn 12, it's this big deal to kind of move into the junior high years. And there's this whole ceremony and just kind of this really cool stuff going on. I remember I was standing there watching all the kids in his class go through this process. And my son was not, we had chosen to wait another year. He just wasn't ready for it. And I left the building in, I was sobbing, just sobbing. And it was just really difficult. I'm getting teary just talking about it because, you know, naming what I was grieving in that moment was that he couldn't keep up with his peers. And how many more times through the years would we have friends come in and they would be a part of our journey and then they would move on. So yeah, that's, that's been just one of those things that I've just had to really be aware of coming soon for us is everybody getting their driving permits. And I know that's going to be something that's difficult for me, but also for Toby, because our son is cognizant enough that he sees all of his peers 
moving on to these milestones and he, he won't be. Yeah. Yeah. When I was standing in the beach one time and we were like on the coast and there were big waves. And I was thinking about how, you know, we talk about like waves of grief and I was kind of like in the part where it's all, you know, turbulent and stuff, like right after it crested. And I was like, man, this is so much easier to like stand my ground when I'm like looking at the waves as they're coming. So I can like, no, oh, here comes a big one. I'm you know, bracing myself. Yeah. And I was picturing like, you know, if I had turned around and so I didn't see them coming, those ones are going to be a lot more likely to like knock you down or like really catch you off guard and like, whoa, that was close. I almost fell or like yeah. whatever. And so I do think that when we can like foresee or predict or be like, oh, here comes, you know, everyone's getting the permit. So like this will probably be difficult for me. Those are probably easier waves of grief to to kind of like, you know, process through and, and get through all right. But the ones that like catch you off guard, yeah, I think are really difficult. Like, whoa, I did not see that coming. I did not realize I would have this huge amount of grief when my son got cleared with his cervical collar, like things like that that seem less logical or like, wow, that was three months ago. Why am I grieving that now? Um, so I think maybe giving ourselves grace for when we do get tossed over for unexpected waves yeah. and doing our best to like face the horizon and be like, hey, what waves are coming? Like what might trigger this grief? And I can kind of like prepare for that in my schedule or just mentally, you know, I think can can really help. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to hear how you've helped him process his grief. I think that is so interesting. And many of us will be, you know, facing that either now or in the future um, of helping our own kids, you know, watch their peers do things that they can't or realize all they've been through that their peers haven't, like just different things like that. How have you helped him? So I will say that it is it is a whole different ball game to like walk through it with your child. And I tend to be a little bit of a fixer by nature. Um, I'm not always a very good listener. So that's one of the big things that I've had to learn is just to to listen to him process it verbally and ask the questions. And actually right before we got on to record today, he was just in tears and just having these big emotions and things like that. And in my mind, I thought, cause he, he said to me, mom, I've got some questions for you and I need to talk to you about this later. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I just don't want to go there right now. I, I don't know if I have the space for this today. And even that I have to remind myself that I need to be a safe place and be a safe space for him to have the big emotions to have the anger and the frustration and to also understand that just like little things will set me off. Sometimes little things are going to set him off too. And he's, mm. he's not going to have the language for it. So also giving him the words and the language for it. We started seeing a counselor kind of before the pandemic. And then, and then since things have calmed down, we started seeing her again. And, and it wasn't anything like he wasn't having these major behavioral problems or anything like that, but it was just me being a little bit more proactive about, I need someone that's going to help me give him the tools to deal with this and give me the language to use with him when he is dealing with these feelings of grief and sadness and just 
you know, watching his older brothers play sports when he, when he can't do that, that's been a huge one for him. So being a good listener, I think is just the number one thing. And it's hard, especially when we're carrying our own pain. Um, And I think number two, being willing to find outside help. And then also just for me, it's like our faith and and praying for wisdom, because there are times when I just have to think in the middle of a situation, okay, he's going down this path where he feels really badly about himself. So how do I pull him back from the brink of that? How do I help give him a little bit perspective? And there are times when it's really important that I don't have any words to say, that I just let him process. But then there are times where I need to speak some truth into his situation. You know, let's look at the things that we have to be grateful for. Let's look at the the opportunities that you do have because, you know, we're in the situation that we're in. And it's really hard sometimes because sometimes I just want to go in and go, nope, let's just move on today. We don't have time for this. Mm -hmm. And then other times we have to allow for the time for that. And it just takes a lot of time, space and all of that and a lot of wisdom. So yeah, that's just some of the ways that we're working through right now. And again, I don't have it mastered. I'm learning clearly on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, that sounds so hard. I'm just listening to you like, oh, that hurts. Just like picturing those conversations and watching them kind of grapple with these things and hurt in that way. I think that sounds extremely triggering too to like your own grief to be like, oh my gosh, I want to take this away and like make it easier for him. Or like, I'm sure it's just so messy and tangled up with each other because like you're grieving really similar things. And I mean, that sounds really difficult to be, I don't know, I guess you probably put your armor on like you did before or something like some way to kind of be like, hey, right now I'm helping him and I'll deal with myself later. But that sounds like an extra type of just pain. That sounds really hard. Yeah. I know one of the things too, that I have thought about through the years and, and I've done this a little bit in bits and pieces is there is a lot of things that he just doesn't remember. You know, he had a massive seizure when he was five years old. It lasted four to six hours. By the time we were done, he was in rehab. He couldn't hold his head up. He couldn't eat food by mouth. And, and I've realized this actually, even for my other children too, is they don't remember any of these things. And so it's also revisiting pictures, revisiting video and reminding him, like, look at what you've overcome. Look at how far you've come and, you know, even just pictures of him as a baby and just different things. And again, I know that not every, um, child is cognizant of this or, but I think sometimes one of the ways that I've just helped him deal with the grief is to look back and go, and he even says this to himself. There's this self-talk that he'll do when we go in for another surgery he'll say, I've had 50 surgeries. I can do this again. Mm. You know, I've faced this really hard thing. I can do this again. And so I think sometimes it is walking them through some of those memories 
because I know his body has the implicit memory, but his brain doesn't necessarily have the explicit memory. And so, and again, every kid is differently how they can handle that and stuff, but it's us having those conversations too. Yeah, totally. I think that's so sweet to picture him soldiering through. And as you were saying that, I was like, man, that, that also reminds me of even how we can handle like, oh, we're going in for another surgery. I've helped him through, you know, 50 surgeries. I can do it again. Yeah. Um, I think that's really empowering. I think like another type of grief that we can feel, especially just all of this all combined and watching your child and helping them through their own grief and everything is grieving the fact that you've been through so much. So it's kind of like a bundle. I feel like it just kind of encompasses everything, but just kind of that heaviness of like, man, I've been through so much. He's been through so much. His siblings have been through so much. You know, my partner has been like, just kind of like the heaviness of like realizing all the things that you, you as a family have been through that, you know, you watch your peers and, you know, of course they have things going on that you don't see, you know, as visibly, but like, just to be right. like, they didn't have to go through that. And, you know, I think that, that right there is like another type of grief where it's just kind of encompasses, you know, all the, all the pain, all the struggle and just all yeah. of it. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to wrap up with a pep talk of sorts for um, younger moms. So if you just picture like, especially like maybe in survival mode, like where you just are, you know, just found the diagnosis and you're impatient or, you know, you haven't really had time to slow down and process through the grief. What would you like to say to them? I would just tell you that I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think once I learned to embrace the fact that I was going to grieve, it almost became just like a friend. And I know that sounds really weird, but what I've learned to do is that when the grief comes, I think it's important not to stuff it down and, and try to just like, no, I don't want to deal with that today. Certainly there are times we have to do that. You know, when you're having to make quick decisions, we have to do that. But when it comes up, like I might be in the car by myself and a song might come on or something like that. I've just learned to let the tears flow to let the emotions come and to just find a way to process that and just be really kind to yourself because, because it is going to come. That's the reality it is it is. So I think accepting and knowing and understanding, even just researching just the parts of the grieving cycle and, and what that looks like and things like that, and being able to name, Oh, you know what? I'm in denial today because of this, or I'm feeling angry today because of this. It's just so empowering to be able to name where you're at and then to have the tools to, to process the grief that's going on. So I would just say, really pay attention to your body, pay attention to what helps you to thrive. Someone sent to me once that self-care is less about making decisions in the moment that just make you feel better, but more about making choices that are going to help you feel better in the long run. And, and I think that's really important too. I would also say to you that grief is just part of a journey, just like anything else. My grief does not look the same that it did in the beginning. It's not always overwhelming and all encompassing. 
and to find, eventually find something that helps you process that can give you purpose in your grief. Locally at our children's hospital, they try to include parents in a lot of volunteer roles. And one of the things that I got involved in really early in Toby's journey, I think he was about 15, 18 months old when I started doing something, it's called family as faculty. And basically what it was, was it was us sharing a little bit about our stories and experiences at our hospital to new employee orientation. And it was a way that they brought in families to give perspective and talk about family-centered care. And basically that just means that you're considering what the family's going through when you're caring for children. Mm -hmm. And I just actually finished up my stint with that 13 years. I did that. And there's something to being able to um, tell your story to someone in a way you have to process it yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you can do this even not on a platform, not even volunteering, but as you process it and as you tell your story more, there is so much healing with that. And I will tell you, being able to feel like I had purpose and I was able to help other families that would be going through similar things that I was going through. And I know that looks differently, you know, for different families, but it was really, really healing for me. And, and it, you only know yourself, right? I will say to you, you might not be able to do that until your child is older or whatever, um, for me, it was, you know, when he was the age that he was. And so it just looks differently for everybody, but I did find so much purpose. And again, I think there's so much to storytelling and because you have to process part of it to be able to tell your story to other people. Yeah. I think you and I are huge advocates for also just like the podcast platform of that kind of yes. you know, storytelling, like where it is so healing, like to be able to talk it out or to, you know, listen to someone else who's sharing their story where you can hear your own story in theirs. I think that is yes. also a really powerful way to process. Yes. And, you know, journaling or like using social media or like, you know, all these different avenues I do think can be a huge part of kind of not closure because obviously it's still going on, but kind of like that acceptance part maybe of grief. Like, yes, I accept that this is my life. And I think it really does add an extra layer of beauty to it when you can see, you know, your story for what it is, because it really is. It's it's heartbreaking. It's it's difficult and it's full of love and it's beautiful, too. You know, so it's all these different things. And yeah, I think storytelling can kind of help you see the whole picture that way, too. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. I am so excited about our conversation. I think. So many of us will benefit from this, and I just really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. You can find adorable photos of Carrie and Toby on the website, therarelifepodcast.com. You can find a link in the show notes for that for both her and my Instagram accounts if you want to follow us there, and for both the episodes mentioned in the intro about grief of child loss. There is also a link to the episode I mentioned in our conversation about the unexpected grief that I felt when we received incredible news about Kimball's health. I also want to put a plug in for therapy. So Carrie and I have both benefited from seeing a therapist to help us work through our grief, and it's been incredibly helpful. 
if getting to traditional in-person therapy is not an option for you, I encourage you to check out our sponsor, BetterHelp. They offer online licensed therapy, and they even have a financial aid program for those whose budgets do not allow for the monthly subscription fees. If you use the link in the show notes, a portion does go towards supporting the podcast and there is a discount built in. So check that out if that sounds like the right next step for you. Okay, one last plug, I promise. (laughs) Since we discussed the power of sharing your story, this seems like a great time to announce our new application system for those interested in being a guest on the show. As some of you following me on Instagram probably already know. So if you think that sharing your story and experiences on this platform could be healing and meaningful for you, please follow the link in the show notes to apply. We sadly cannot have on every interested person, but this is a great way to be considered. Also, if you know any professionals that would make a great guest, please send them the link and encourage them to apply. We love our professional episodes too. Join us next week for a conversation with three participants. Myself, Amanda Griffith Atkins, who is the medical mama and licensed therapist, who I'm sure you remember from episode 81 about health anxiety, and, drumroll please, Emily Ladau. As many of you know, Emily is the disabled author who wrote the fantastic book, Demystifying Disability. We are going to discuss controversial things like the emotional and ethical aspects of having our identities wrapped up in our disabled children and the verbiage around that, phrases like medical mama, special needs mom, etc. This conversation is so important and you do not want to miss it. See you then.